Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. We at Living Word Ministries are excited to host a special evening to talk about current events in Bible prophecy and to answer any and all questions you might have on Bible prophecy. So much is happening so quickly in this world that Jesus could return at any time, and we need to be prepared. So please join Jan Weil and myself, Debbie Blank, on Thursday, October 5th, at Redeemer Church in Omaha, 13831 Industrial Road. Again, that's October 5th, Thursday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. at Redeemer Church. Hope to see you there. Now let's move into today's discussion. A sleeping prophetic giant is again on the rise after being dormant for a dozen years. And with it comes a resurgence of a seldom discussed end times Middle East war. This war was potentially on the horizon and we discussed it a few decades back. But now it seems even more likely that it will return. What's changed? Well, first, the establishment of the Abrahamic Accords. Since September of 2020, the Middle East countries, they've been working to recognize peace in the Middle East based on, quote, a mutual understanding and coexistence, as well as respect for human dignity, freedom, and religious freedom among the three Abrahamic religions and all humanity, end quote, according to their website. So far, four Arabic nations and Kosovo have normalized diplomatic relations with Israel, which is unprecedented. The United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, joined Egypt and Jordan, those two having peace agreements with Israel prior to these Abrahamic Accords. Well, the United States has been working closely with Israel and Saudi Arabia, hoping to bring those two together under the Abrahamic Accords. The problem there being is Israel is going to have to give up a lot of their mainstays, the things that they have stood for in order to have that kind of a peace. But we'll see. Now, with these peace arrangements, they're designed for cooperation, obviously, not war. And yet these peace arrangements could be the catalyst for a war. Why? Because the Bible says so. At least it says that there's going to be another war in the Middle East with a lot of Israel's Arabic neighbors. The only question is and has been timing. I'm Debbie Blank looking today at one of these wars, the Psalm 83 war, and the recent change making it a possibility again. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Jesus spoke of wars and rumors of wars as being a sign of the last days. And a recent list of new conflicts popping up in virtually every area around the world seems to confirm that. But in the Middle East, of all places, the Abrahamic Accords became a historic interruption in long-held hostilities, with now about 98% of the Arab world on board, according to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. It seems like an unlikely peace has been breaking out in the Middle East. Yet the Bible has not only prophesied new wars, but has given us the actual lineup of the countries which will come against Israel, regardless of any current participation in the Abrahamic Accords. How close are we to these end-time wars? What changes should we be looking for? 
and what will it all mean on the timeline of end times Bible prophecy. Speaking of timelines, we need to look at a little history of what's been going on there. In the 75 years that Israel has been a nation, they have seen around them and in the Middle East wars, lots of wars against Israel, but also wars or skirmishes against each other. And then you had the Arab Spring that happened where they were having internal civil wars among themselves. They also had times of peace. Now they're having new times of peace, it seems, with Israel. But we know from biblical prophecy that that will be short-lived. It's just a matter of how long it will last. Our concern today is the nation of Syria. On March 15, 2011, Arab protests during that time of the Arab Spring rose up against Syria, against President Bashar al-Assad. And the reason being was for his dictatorial policies in Syria. So it was an armed escalation of protests of the people against their president. At the same time, ISIS had formed on their eastern border. And so United States and other nations were concerned about that. And we wanted to step in and do something while Syria was literally imploding. Since 2011, more than 230,000 civilian deaths have occurred. And of that, 30,000 were children and 16,000 were women. What an atrocity. And 14 million Syrians have been forced to flee their homes. Of that, half of the people have stayed in Syria but have had to leave their environment. And the other half have had to flee to other countries, mainly Turkey, which means they're living in tents. Terrible situation for these people. We were hoping, I think, as the United States that we could make a change in that government because of all the terrorism they were supporting. As a matter of fact, they've been on our terrorist watch since 1979. And we were hoping to have more of a humanitarian government in there, but it hasn't happened. Assad has hung on to his power with the help, I might say, of Iran mostly, but also of Russia. And now for the first time in the 12 years of their civil war, the Arab League is again developing relationships with Syria. They were part of the Arab League nations, the 22 nations that surround them that are made up of mostly Arabs until their civil war broke out and then they were ostracized from this Arab League nation group. But now they're not. The regime of President Assad was recently readmitted to the Arab fold at their Jeddah Saudi Arabia conference They didn't have to make any reforms. They didn't have to sever any deep ties with Russia or Iran. They were just automatically let back in. Well, that means that nothing's going to change in Syria. They're going to continue their terrorist activities. They're going to continue working with Iran, though I think the Arab countries believe that perhaps they'll sever their ties with Iran because they don't need them anymore. But they do need them. So that's not going to happen. We're going to see a more emboldened Syria in the Middle East. So the question is, what does that look like? What's going to happen? As we watched this over the years, it seemed for sure that Syria and Assad and his government in Syria was doomed. It was just a matter of time. As you say, they even fell out of favor with the Arab League. So they had almost everybody against them except those powers that you mentioned, Iran and Russia. So what does that show about that? Because 
Somehow or another, they have the leverage that in spite of everything that's happened, all the death and destruction, everything, Assad is still in power, and he's being let back into the favor of the Arab League, and they're still relating to Russia and Iran. Why does Iran want the favor of Syria? Because Syria is the land border between Iran and Israel. Iran wants to destroy Israel. So they've been bringing in armament through Syria to Hezbollah in Lebanon, which is just north of Israel. They've also been bringing in camps of people to train and to bring in arms in order to set up places along Israel's border in Syria, but on Israel's border, in order to attack Israel. Because Iran has developed now the Hezbollah in the northern part of Israel. They are the controllers and the financiers of Hezbollah. They also have controlled Hamas in the southwest corner of Israel in the Gaza Strip. Again, they're the moneyed people that giving them that are giving them money and providing them arms. So if they can control Syria, or at least have a relationship with Syria on the western border of Syria, which is the eastern border of Israel, they have complete access to Israel except from the Jordanian side. I don't know that they'll have that ever, at least not in the near future. But they don't need it. If they're coming from the north, the northeast, and the southwest, they could destroy Israel in no time because Israel is a small country. It's smaller than New Jersey. It's like maximum 350 miles long and no wider than about 80 miles wide. All the Iranians need to do is have rockets set up in those three strategic places and they can destroy Israel. They need Syria, and Syria needs Iran for the money and the influence that they can provide into Syria. And now that Syria is going to be, quote, a recognized stable country in the Middle East, or so they think it will be, they're emboldened to do whatever they want to do with whomever they want to do it. It's concerning for Israel in so many ways, but one of the things was during this time where it was more unstable, Israel was able to go back and attack in Syria some of these places that Iran had set up with their proxies to send in drones and rockets and things into northern Israel, especially, and they were able to go back and, and take some of these out. And in fact, even go as far as close to Damascus, there's a base there and they were taking things out. But now with the solidification of Syria's Assad government, isn't that going to be a lot harder? Well, and then we have the question of the war in Damascus, according to Isaiah 17. Not going to talk about that today, but that tells us that Damascus will be destroyed. It has been attacked before, but it's never completely been destroyed. Could all of what's going on in Syria bring a resurgence of the need to attack Damascus because of the armaments that will be hidden in Damascus and used from there to attack Israel by Iran? So there's a lot of concern right now with the United States as well as with Israel as to what's happening in Syria. What makes it interesting to us is because for the first time since the Arab Spring Civil War in Syria, we are looking at the possibility of the Psalm 83 war again. So we want to read to you Psalm 83 and explain who the players are in this war so that you can understand how significant it is that Syria is back in the playing field. Psalm 83 reads, O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent, and O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. 
They make shrewd plans against your people and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, Come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the nation of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind. Against you they made a covenant. The tents of Edom and Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagarites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them. They have become a help to the children of Lot. We're going to stop right there in verse 8 because we want to explain to you who those people are. You probably don't recognize a lot of these names or where they originally were from, so we're going to walk you through that. First of all, it mentions the tents of Edom in verse 6. The tents of Edom are the Palestinians and southern Jordan. So you're looking at that area right now, which those Palestinians and Jordans control. Then it's talking about the Ishmaelites, which are the Saudi Arabians, the Ishmael being the father of the Arabs. We have the Moabites and the Hagarites. Again, the Moabites are in the area that the Palestinians are now controlling, as well as central Jordan. The Hagarites are believed to be, though there's no proof of it, descendants from the Egyptians, the Hagarines. That's where you may recall that Abraham's concubine, Hagar, was from. She was from Egypt. Then we have Gebel in verse 7. Gebel is northern Lebanon, which would be controlled by Hezbollah that we just talked about. Ammon, that's again Jordan, but also part of the Palestinian territory. When it talks about Amalek, that's the Arabs of the Sinai region. Philistia, that's Hamas of the Gaza Strip in the southwestern part of Israel. Tyre is in southern Lebanon, again, Hezbollah. And Assyria, well, we're familiar with that country. It's the Syrians and the northern Iraqis. So that's where the Assyrians come in. According to Psalm 83, verse 8, those Assyrians are the modern-day Syrians and northern Iraq. In order for this war to happen, all of those people need to coordinate together And isn't it interesting, they're all now part of the Arab League. They were 20 years ago, and now they are again all part of the Arab League nations. It's along with more nations, because there's 22 nations in the Arab League. But these are the nations that surround Israel, that give them the greatest threat because they're on their borders. They're all mentioned in the Psalm 83 war. And there has never been any historic proof that these nations coalesce together to destroy Israel. So it's still a future war to happen. That was one of my questions is how do we know that this didn't happen before and that it's something that's future to us? So you just explained that. And what is really interesting is these are all the countries you may have recognized some of the names, Gaza and Jordan and things like that. Those countries and their modern names we all know are surrounding the borders of Israel. So what a threat to Israel to have all of them conspiring together to get rid of Israel. And they already did. In the War of Independence, many of these nations fought against Israel. In the Six-Day War of 1967, they did also. And then in 1973, with the Yom Kippur War, you had some of these nations fighting against Israel then. So they've coalesced before to war against Israel. And you think, well, why do they keep doing this? Because according to a September 1st, 1967 agreement or resolution known as the Khartoum Resolution, 
the Arab League nations, again, 22 nations, came to an agreement. And that agreement was the three no's. The three no's say no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel, and no peace with Israel. They have adhered to that since 1967. That's potentially changing with the Abrahamic Accords, but I'm not sure that that will occur. We have Jordan, who's made a peace agreement with Israel, and they're still part of the Arab League nations, but a lot of the other nations are not willing to make that peace. I would be very surprised if Saudi Arabia makes a peace with Israel, and if they do, Israel's going to have to give up a lot, which means that Netanyahu would probably have to be ousted as the prime minister because I don't think he would give up the territories and the requirements that the Saudi Arabias are asking for. So anyway, as you said, these modern nations that encompass the areas that are mentioned in Psalm 83 are already enemies of Israel. They, in a heartbeat, if they had an agreement, if they had a reason, they would coalesce because they have the three no's agreement. They hate Israel. They want to take over that whole territory of Israel for the Palestinians. If you look at the Palestinians, their documents show that there's no Israel. If you go to a Palestinian school, they have a map of Palestine. No mention of Israel. Their goal is to have 100% of that land, not just part of it. That is why over the course of the last hundred years, when the Palestinians have been given numerous opportunities, probably about a dozen, to have their own nation in that land, they have always said no. They haven't accepted it because they don't want part. They want all. That leads us to believe that this war could be imminent at any time. What really stood out to me as you were reading Psalm 83 was verse 4 where it says, they have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel should be remembered no more. I'm just wondering if the past several presidents of Iran know that verse, because they quote it almost exactly, that they want Israel wiped off the face of the earth, wiped off the map. And as you said, they have wiped it off the map. On their maps, there is no Israel. Well, that's why several things have to have happened or have to be happening in order for this Psalm 83 war to take place. And that's just one of them. The idea that they can wipe Israel out as a nation first tells us that Israel has to be a nation. And Israel was not a nation from 586 BC until 1948. So the Psalm 83 war could never have happened until either before that or after 1948. It also tells us in verse 3, they make shrewd plans against your people and conspire against your treasured ones, so they have to be Israelis. Israelis, Jews, people who live in that area, both as a nation but individuals, they are coming up against them. When there were some Jews in Israel or in the Palestinian territories in the previous years before 1948, but now half of the Jews in the world live there. So as Benjamin Netanyahu once said, Iran can do in six minutes what it took Hitler six years to do, and that's destroy six million Jews. Well, now it's eight million Jews and quickly growing. Another aspect of this is there have to be Palestinians controlling part of the land that we're talking about. And that really didn't happen. They weren't recognized as a group of people, as a nation, as any kind of an entity until the last hundred years. 
but now they are. Now they have power in the world as they are requiring Israel to give them territory and make them an independent nation. Again, as I mentioned, this Arab League coalescing only happened in 1967. Now, yes, they were Arab countries, and yes, they agreed with one another somewhat, but they didn't have a coalition like they did in 1967. So all of this has become possible just since 1948, never before in history, but it is now. And we are on the horizon of looking towards a war that is designed to destroy Israel. The question is, will it? And the answer is, no, it won't. First of all, we're told later in this passage that the psalmist wants God to destroy them. But more importantly, we know from biblical prophecy that Israel is not going to be destroyed as a nation. Now, the Antichrist will take it over for a period of time. The Jews will flee to the wilderness for the last half of the tribulation period. But he will not destroy Israel. He will not kill all of the Jews. And it will be him, the Antichrist, and his coalition that does it, not this coalition of Arab states. So we know that when this war takes place, it will not destroy Israel. I go back and I look at those other wars that I mentioned in 48 and 67 and 73, not to mention all the skirmishes and the hundreds and thousands of rockets that have been shot into Israel from Hamas and from Lebanon. They haven't destroyed Israel. As a matter of fact, they've made Israel stronger. If Israel is like most nations in the world, what will make it stronger today is some kind of war against it. Because right now they're dealing with civil war. They're dealing with internal strife. If they had a common enemy, which would be any nation that came up against them, that would strengthen the nation. That would bring them more of a national entity again, which they need. They're trying to be like all the other nations, which is not what God ever intended for them to be. A common enemy would strengthen the resolve of that country. And by the way, the civil unrest in Israel will not destroy it. It will change their attitudes. It will divide them. It will cause them to turn further away from God if that's possible. But it will not destroy them. How do we know that? Because God is in control. We know the end of the book. And that is that if Israel was destroyed, the Antichrist could not come up or would not come up against them. If Israel was destroyed, Jesus Christ would not return for his people, the Jews. If Israel was destroyed, numerous prophecies couldn't be fulfilled that God says will be fulfilled in the end days. And that would make God out to be a liar. God's not a liar, and we know that. And the deliverance that God is going to give them, it's going to be supernatural. The Israeli people are going to get to see God's hand because back when they were using the Iron Dome and all the rockets were coming in, it was pretty miraculous that the Iron Dome could work as well as it did. And so we got to see that on television and see those rockets explode and that defense system really work for Israel. But Iran has announced not too long ago that they have a hypersonic missile that can get to Israel in, get this, 6.66 minutes and destroy whatever they feel like they want to destroy. They could destroy the country that quickly. Well, that leaves very little time for anybody in the defense systems in Israel to do something about that. So they're really going to need God's help. Doesn't mean that Israel is not going to be hurt at different times. There's concern that maybe northern Israel might be 
either wiped out or at least harmed significantly because of a prophecy in Zechariah. But Jerusalem and the rest of the country in general will not be. God will supernaturally protect them, just as he will in the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39. We've talked about that before, but that's another war that has to happen, where this coalition of Russia, Turkey, Iran, Libya, and Sudan will come to fight against Israel. They haven't done that yet. But all I can think about is if Russia succeeds in the Ukraine and they're emboldened in that, they might be willing to come up against Israel for all of Israel's natural gas. Now, we don't know, but we do know that that war is imminent, just as the Psalm 83 war is imminent. Debbie, the last 10 verses of Psalm 83 also give us insight into Israel's hope and its future purpose. What are they? Okay, let me read these last passages. Psalm 83, verse 9 reads, Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera and Javan at the torrents of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor, who became as dung for the ground. Now that's telling us the story of the judge Deborah, who sent her general Barak to destroy Javan, the king of Midian, and Sisera, his general, in an army. And they did. You can read about that in Judges. Then it tells us, verse 11, Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all the princes of Zeba and Zamuna. Well, those were other Midian kings that the judge Gideon destroyed, according to Judges chapters 6 and 7. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, destroy these enemies of Israel just like you destroyed previous enemies. Verse 12 goes on to say about Oreb and Zeb, who said, let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God which is, of course, what these enemies of Israel are saying now. Verse 13, Oh my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest, and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest, and terrify them with your storm. Fill their faces with dishonor, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever, and let them be humiliated and perish that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. The psalmist here wants God to destroy these people. Now, if they're going to be destroyed like Oreb and Zeba, like Sisera and Jabin, it was the Israeli army that defeated those kings, not a supernatural intervention of God. And there were many examples of God supernaturally intervening to destroy armies, but these weren't some of them. We know now that Israel has the Israeli Defense Forces, which are some of the strongest military in the world. They could easily defeat the forces around them, and they have. Even in the days when they had no strength, they were able to defeat their enemies. And they can do it again because this isn't supernatural invention. It's going to be God's intervention through the people of Israel. That is now possible because of the Israel Defense Forces. Well, it looks like there's going to be peace in the Middle East instead of war. So why are we concerned? Because the Middle East is just like Nebraska. You know the old saying in Nebraska, if you don't like the weather, just wait a little while and it'll change. Well, if you don't like what's going on in the Middle East, just wait a little while and it'll change. And it does, often, quickly, overnight. Anything can happen. So the Psalm 83 war, now that Syria's back in play, because all the other nations that are mentioned in this war have been together in their coalition, but not Syria. Syria is now back in the fold. 
Anything can happen at any time. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem because before Jesus returns for his people, they are going to struggle. They won't be destroyed, but they will struggle because they have at least two wars that they have to go through. And who knows what other kind of strife. So continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray that the enemies of Jerusalem will not succeed. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.